This is Pastor Scott Olbert for Spiritual Onion. Now, I'm a big college basketball fan. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, so I had to watch the recent Ohio State-Purdue game. In the final seconds, Jaden Ivey, a Purdue player, sank a last-second three-pointer, which won the game for Purdue by three. After his shot, the camera scanned the crowd, and there was a college student holding up a handwritten sign that read, Onions. So I spent some time surfing the net and could not find a reason for a Purdue fan to be holding a sign that read, Onions. Perhaps Purdue changed its mascot from Boilermakers to Onions. Uh, probably not. Or maybe this guy's parents are onion farmers, and this was a subliminal message for all of us to eat more onions. Nah. If I'm even more of a narcissist than I think I am, I could suggest he is a fan of this podcast. But heck, I just don't know. Now, if I held up a sign with the word blessed, what would you think? God bless America? Seems like every politician ends his or her campaign speech with God bless America. And many of us might think that God does hold a special place in God's heart for our country. It sounds religious, doesn't it? And congregations support this notion by having an American flag somewhere in the sanctuary. As a pastor, if you want a battle on your hands, raise the issue of removing the American flag from the sanctuary. What will most likely happen is that you will be removed. This blend of religion and patriotism is what we call civil religion. And so most congregations celebrate the 4th of July, Memorial Day, and so on. And we ask for God's blessing on our country. I have heard people say that they are blessed because God helped them find a parking space. Or God helped them get a raise at work. Think of the people who say they are blessed when all the houses around them have been destroyed by a tornado, but their house is still standing. Well, let's use our heads for a moment. If God blesses you with a parking spot, a raise, an undamaged house, then there are other people who did not get a parking space, a raise, or a still-standing house. In some way, the blessed folks are saying they are special, which is another way of saying they are narcissistic. Recently, two owners of a Chick-fil-A franchise wanted to bless their customers, but thought blessing each person individually would be impossible. The solution to the dilemma was to bury a Bible on the, under the foundation of their building. They said, we open the Bible to Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you... Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. 
Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is a lovely passage of Scripture. I appreciate their intent. But it is doubtful that the author of the book of Joshua was thinking of chicken sandwiches, even if they do have great pickles. As far as I can tell, we use blessing when something good has happened to us, and parenthetically, did not happen to the person standing next to us. Talking about our blessings does sound religious, and that's the problem. This form of religious expression turns off increasing numbers of us. So let's examine this notion of blessing. Recall that the center of our scriptures is Jesus Christ, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection, his life and teachings in the four Gospels. What is his take on blessing? In the Gospel of Luke, we have the Sermon on the Plains, and in the Gospel of Matthew, we have the Sermon on the Mount. Both have to do with Jesus's take on blessing. So listen who has a blessing in Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's just note that Luke reads, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Scholars imagine that some early Christians had a hard time with, Blessed are you poor. So those gathered around the Gospel of Matthew altered the text to read, Blessed are the poor of spirit, because this was less daunting than being materially poor. But Jesus goes on, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Let's pause for a moment and run down a side alley. Why do we continue to focus on the Ten Commandments and pretty much ignore the Beatitudes? Likely many of us can recite at least some of the Ten Commandments, but few, if any, of us can recite the Beatitudes. Are we followers of Moses instead of Jesus Christ? especially since Jesus recast at least some of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments state, Honor your father and mother, and I've listened to plenty of people in psychological pain over this commandment because their parents were abusive. But Jesus says, 
Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five and one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Not only is Jesus recasting one of the commandments, he is also claiming credit for family infighting. What a guy! Take the commandment, thou shalt not kill. Yet Jesus says, you have heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you shall be liable for judgment. Looks like we all blew that one. Think of the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus says, but I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Man, we're all going to hell on that one. I cannot help but think that we stick with the Ten Commandments because we can make a half-hearted attempt at the commandments and still feel good about ourselves. Whereas Jesus' admonitions are tough as nails and are aimed at our inner life. These sayings of Jesus appear in the New Testament, the New Covenant. And the Ten Commandments come from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And it is a lot tougher to follow Jesus than it is to follow Moses. And so most of us likely can't even recite one beatitude, let alone place them at the center of our spiritual life. When's the last time you've heard some law and order judge wanting to place the beatitudes on the wall of his courtroom? Our limited interest in the Beatitudes must partly stem from the fact that the first four Beatitudes turn the notion of blessing upside down. We are blessed when we have been brought low, when the ego has been compromised, when we hit rock bottom, when we experience some form of poverty, when we have experienced loss and are in mourning, when we don't fight back, when we are spiritually empty. Leonard Cohen has that great line, there's a crack in everything, but that's how the light gets in. The divine process is that we are blessed when we are first broken. To paraphrase Carl Jung, the experience of God is always a defeat for the ego. That is, the ego, I, me, mine, does not want to experience poverty in any form. No loss, no violence, no spiritual emptiness or verbal attack. But what do we see on the contemporary religious scene? A significant portion of Christianity 
that appears to think God is all about the task of supporting our egos. God is there to wipe out our credit card debt. God is going to heal our dying relative. God wants to defeat our enemies. God is the insurance policy against being maligned. God's purpose is to make me healthy, wealthy, and wise. How can God in the flesh possibly insist that we are blessed when we are in poverty, when we are grieving, when we experience pain, when we are attacked on Facebook? No, no, no. As a chaplain intern at a hospital, I was accosted by a woman whose mother was dying of pancreatic cancer one of the deadliest cancers. She grabbed me by the shirt and yelled at me, we expect a miracle. Of course you do. People who live paycheck to paycheck send in their last dime to a TV evangelist who insists that God will honor their pledge by raining money down on them, only to experience that their landlord is going to evict them for not paying the rent. As a parish pastor, I have been called every name in the book, and God did not intervene to stop the personal attacks. Have we not noticed that Jesus risked his life on what he called the kingdom of God only to experience the ego's ultimate defeat, death on the cross? And all those he had fed or healed or taught were nowhere to be found. How's that for a blessing, folks? Do we think we deserve better than Jesus? The Beatitudes turn blessing on its head, so I can see why we might prefer the Ten Commandments. For example, the process of mourning is a tough process. On its most superficial level, we must go through a calendar year without the presence of our dead loved one. Christmas, a birthday, a death date, perhaps an anniversary, and special days that are personally precious. We must deal with the complexity of the person who has died, the good, the bad, and the ugly. There are deeper levels of having to let go of their presence and reinvest our life energy that was attached to the person. Yet we can come out the other end of the grieving process with a greater compassion, a deeper investment in life, with a strong and strengthened identity, with a more conscious purpose in life by going through the process of grieving, which is no picnic. And in some ways, we must flee to God in our grieving, because the culture gives us three days off from work, and then it's back to the daily grind. And the church gives us a funeral and a meal replete with marshmallow salad and chicken breasts. We are thrust back on ourselves and our spirituality. And what about blessed are the meek? This is almost a joke in a culture where more and more of us own more than one gun. You going to mess with me? You better not overlook the arsenal I have at home. 
And by the way, this beatitude is the perfect example of why we cannot take a biblical text at face value. The Greek word for meek comes from the same root as our word for dynamic or dynamite. So this beatitude actually reads something like, I will develop myself in such a way that I can knock your head off, but I choose not to. This beatitude eats me alive because with my words, I can rip anyone apart. But continually, I must refrain from decimating those when they attack me. Following Jesus Christ is no walk in the park. But keep yourself grounded in healthy spirituality by remembering the wisdom of the older masters. The way up is the way down. Thank you for joining us on Spiritual Onion. We would love it if you shared this podcast with your friends or have them check out the website at yourspiritualonion.com. And I'll be with you in two weeks. God is in the roses, the petals and the thorns, storms out on the ocean, the souls who will be born and every drop of rain that falls falls for those who mourn God is in the roses and the But it never will be done